Hello, and welcome to Ask Math. I'm Eugene Cordero, Professor of Meteorology and Climate Science at San Jose State and founder and director of Green Ninja. Green Ninja is a California-approved middle school science provider that helps students use science and engineering to solve real-world environmental problems. I'm here with Matt Delasio, geology professor from Cal State Northridge and chief author of the 2016 California Science Framework. Matt is a national expert on science learning and was one of the three chief authors of California's NGSS standards. I met Matt about four years ago and he agreed to help our team at Green Ninja with advice as we created our own NGSS science curriculum. Our team learned a lot from our work with Matt and I thought it'd be great to share some of his wisdom and insights with others. So here we are. The format of this podcast is that I ask Matt questions about science, science education and NGSS and likely we'll all learn some more about how to make this transition to NGSS easier and more rewarding for everyone. If you have any of your own questions, just send them to info at greenninja.org, and I'll share some of them with Matt in a future episode. So let's get started. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful rainy day here in Southern California. Well, in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's sunny and nice, but I, I think our rain is coming. It's been a few months since our last episode, and I hope it's been a good winter for you and your family, Matt. Our Green Ninja team here has been busy supporting teachers as they pilot our curriculum, and we have been learning a lot. However, today we're all being forced to learn some new things. And as the coronavirus and this pandemic has caused our world to take note of science um, in a very real way, I wanted to focus with you today on this situation and how we can help teachers make sense of what is going on right now and how this can be potentially translated into the classroom. So you ready? Yeah, let's go to it. So I know this isn't your exact science area of expertise, but what is going on today with this global pandemic? Well, I've been, I've been reading about things. So everything I know is, is, uh, is from, from what I read, uh, hopefully from reliable sources, as we've uh, seen, it doesn't always work that way. But exactly. um, uh, this is, uh, there's a couple of interesting stories here, and both uh, one in terms of uh, the evolution of the virus and, and how, it, uh, how it evolved. Is this, how do you get new viruses and how, to, how you know, what's going on with that? And, and uh, I've been seeing some people trying to track down uh, what its closest relationships are and uh, where it came from and what it evolved from. Uh, and there's some interesting little taxonomic tree, little tree diagrams that people make uh, that they're using as they sequence the DNA or, or sequence the, the genetic coding of this, of this virus. I guess it doesn't have DNA. I don't think uh, if I know my virus uh, information right, but it, uh, it's, little, it's little code that it's got. And the other interesting thing is about it spreading and how it spreads. And it's, it seems to be uh, very effective at getting from person to person uh, more so than a lot of other uh, a lot of other viruses have. And so because it spreads so easily, it's just taking off. And, and it's maybe, maybe not the most spreadable, but I saw a plot that showed that it's, it's definitely more, uh, you know, I think I, something like the average cold or flu, uh, the average person that gets sick from the cold or flu spreads that to maybe two or three people uh, during the course of their illness. And I've seen that uh, the, the numbers for the, this COVID-19 coronavirus uh, seem like that it's the average person that has it spreads it to between five and ten people, and so that that uh, higher propensity to spread uh, is of course making it uh, go all over the place. And then, uh, in terms of once you get it, there's a lot of question about how how lethal it is and how 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 likely you are to get really sick. And those numbers seem to be fairly high as well, uh, and that's that's causing a lot of people to be very concerned. So I'm I'm 
going along with the rest of us here and trying to adapt our lives to uh, to a slightly socially uh, distanced uh, <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I and I know a lot of us have been looking at um, what people have been writing and, like you said, good sources, um, CDC, but but others have been doing analysis and sharing some of their um, outcomes. And I've been, uh, you mentioned about evolution and spreading. I've also been interested in looking at some of the data that's come out of China, out of Italy and South Korea, and see what we can learn from that data and how it spread and the number of cases and the number of deaths um, and kind of comparing it to where we are right now in the United States. And that's certainly been interesting to, to look at. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at some of that data yourself as well. Well, um, I, I, I looked at some, I think you, you actually sent me an interesting article earlier today uh, that I think we were going to talk about a little bit later on things here, uh, looking at some of the, the graphs of, of how different countries have been responding to this and, and how important it is to, to respond quickly and get people to, to slow the spread. The, the, the sooner you act, the, the, uh, the little, little ch changes like acting a day earlier, I think I saw in one of the graphs could could uh, decrease the number of illnesses by 20% in one case. And so this is, this is uh, pretty exciting that we're, we're here at the, making these decisions and, and hopefully, hopefully learning from what those other countries have been doing. Exactly. So have you seen uh, the, going, so going back to our kind of primary subject of, of interest, which is about uh, science in the classroom, have you seen a demonstration of NGSS thinking when it comes to the coronavirus and, and what's going on? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is essentially, this is our systems and systems thinking uh, cross-cutting concept from the NGSS is really embodied as we're trying to think about what boundaries to put on our systems. And, um, but no, it's a, there are people that interact with each other, the components that are interacting, and when they interact, they can, they can transfer, transfer this illness. Uh, and so how do, you, how do you deal with that? And if you're thinking about your country as a system, there's the inputs and outputs of, of sick people, if you will. And so this is why our travel bans are, people are talking about those. Um, this is, you think about your house as a system and uh, trying to keep yourself so that you don't have any things coming in or out. Uh, think about your body as a system and why hand washing is so important. Uh, trying to prevent the, uh, the flow of things. People talking about don't touch your face because that's the, one of the avenues for getting that, uh, that little virus into your body where it will do all of its bad things. Um, and so we're very much thinking about the boundaries and uh, interactions of components within a system. That's a great example uh, about how we could, you know, one launching off point in, in helping folks think about this um, I really like the analogy. I mean, thinking about your body, thinking about your house, thinking about your community um, as, as different systems. And so um, I know that we just recently started to think about our house and, you know, like the, we got a package today in the mail. And when you think about that plastic on the outside of the package and where it's been and how many people have touched it, you know, you, and it's just entered into your home as a system, then you, you think about that differently than you might have a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, I it's definitely definitely agree. And trying to figure out how to how to be calm and and uh, prudent about this, but also making sure that we are 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 protecting ourselves. So that's a fine line that I know that everybody's trying to balance right now. That's right. Um, so let me just press you a little bit more on. So you you mentioned about systems. Any other kind of NGSS connections that um, kind of leap out to you in um, in thinking about how the coronavirus. Um, has been moving around or it's, it's real, or even in some of the reactions to it? 
Yeah, I would, I would say the other part of things is really about our, our communication and, and the, the science and engineering practices and how there's a lot of scientific information that's available, uh, but uh, whether or not the, the scientists, who, who's distributing the information is, uh, and whether they're using their correct, reliable sources and, and those sorts of things. I'm seeing a lot of stuff that comes across my email that uh, is, uh, is not necessarily reliable. There's, there, you know, all of my all of my department and my university and the city of LA, all of them are giving me uh, the same information and it's very high quality, but uh, I have a lot of friends that are sending me things uh, about restaurants and avoiding different types of restaurants or uh, just things that are not necessarily based in, in any fact. And so really trying to think about how to vet our sources, how to how scientists communicate the information and, uh, and how we as, as information consumers uh, evaluate the information that comes to us. So that's a really important skill. I agree completely. In fact, we had a meeting at Green Ninja just on Monday, this past Monday, about what's going on and, and also how we, we want to remember to keep our science hats on and we evaluate the credibility of information that we're getting because someone had, someone had forwarded to us uh, from a doctor at Stanford all these things that you can do to prevent coronavirus. And, um, but you know, it was an email thread and I don't know, it wasn't from Stanford University, it was just claimed. And you know, so we, we do have to be um, good consumers and, uh, and careful consumers of that information. I think that's another thing that we can use in our classrooms with students, uh, just reminding them that uh, looking for trusted sources is really important, especially now when there's a lot of anxiety around these kind of issues. Yeah, and to, to tie this back into our pandemic theme, um, uh, we as uh, information spreaders, uh, un unlike uh, the, the coronavirus where we, we don't necessarily get to control how easy it is to spread, uh, misinformation is something that we get to, to uh, be uh, the, the gatekeepers of. So when we get information, just spreading it on is not necessarily the best thing to do. We don't want to be spreading misinformation, and uh, it's a choice that each of us can make. So please... Be very cautious before you send out that message to somebody. Before, the, before you do, make sure it's actually got that reliability stamp. So just to, to kind of come full circle that, and we'll get to this, uh, that message I sent you earlier, um, Matt. But I did spend about an hour reading that article and looked at the sources. And I was like, you know, I don't want to obviously share anything, especially when it didn't come from the peer-reviewed literature or from a government website. And that's usually what we're kind of suggesting people put a little bit more confidence in. Um, when it's coming from, you know, some, someone's, pod, some, someone's blog or something like that. There can be some credibility that can be definitely not. So um, we have to look at those quite carefully. Um, I have a teacher who recently reached out to me um, and his school is closing for the next two weeks and then online for the foreseeable future. And we don't know how long that'll be. Um, but he was asking me for advice on how he teaches science in that kind of environment. He said, I've never done this before. Do you have any suggestions for him? Well, the, I think our, our university sent us a nice message uh, as we're in the same situation at the university level, which is admittedly easier than, than uh, in the, in the K-12 science arena. But, um, but the first piece of advice was that uh, it's, this is uh, because we're rapidly thrown into this, uh, we may not hit all of the best practices of online learning as we jump and are thrown into the hopper here. So um, while they, I can give you a lot of pieces of advice, I've, I've uh, written papers on, on uh, how to do online learning, um, but uh, we may not be able to be in that position as we're thrown into that you know, with zero warning and zero preparation. It takes a lot of preparation to do some of these great online things well. 
but with that said, there are so many opportunities from people being in their homes uh, because remember one of those key themes of, of NGSS in California is we're trying to find locally relevant problems. And so uh, not only is there the teachable moments related to uh, coronavirus and to COVID-19, which is obviously one first place to start with a certain age level of kids. I'm not sure exactly where that age level uh, should be. It's, uh, it, it, I think probably with our middle school kids, they can start talking about that fairly, fairly uh, comfortably. But also they're gonna be at home. And so getting them to look around their homes and trying to, to find ways to, to really find the science around you uh, is, is the first sort of general piece of advice that I have as we're trying to, to lay this out. So I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be with my kids. Uh, we're going to be spending some time in our garden. And of course, that's always a good thing to, to really get in there and, and mm -hmm. observe phenomena that are happening. Um, the rain, uh, which we have here in Southern California in, in spades, and it's supposed to rain for the next week and a half or so. Fantastic observation opportunities for people to do to go out and look at where it's wet, uh, where it's uh, where the water's soaking in, where it's not soaking in. You know, watch for those rainbows. Where are the rainbows forming? And you can mm -hmm. basically come up with all sorts of uh, observable phenomenon. And uh, as an online, uh, as a teacher that's teaching online, uh, get your kids to take pictures of stuff that's happening around them and send it in, uh, and be able to look at what other kids are sending in. And uh, we can start with that as as just sort of a observations that we can make. And then as we get used to how are we gonna, how we're gonna communicate with each other in this uh, online world, uh, then we start analyzing and looking at some of those things in detail and trying to understand what's going on in each of those uh, things that we observe. But really, because it's gonna take us a little while to transition, the first step is to go out and observe and get a library of things that we can spend some time on a little bit later. That's it. Those are great suggestions, Matt, and I appreciate those. For the, for the um, families that are living in apartments, let's say in kind of urban areas and where going outside is not even really, you know, I mean, you're, you're trying to kind of limit your exposure, social distancing. Do you have any, um, some kind of similar ideas for kind of things you could do inside um, the house or an apartment um, that might work with, uh, with students to kind of discover some interesting phenomena? So inside the house, um, we, might, uh, we might be a little bit more limited in terms of seeing things directly around us, but um, we, are, uh, we have the opportunity to <laughs> put our, put our uh, technology to use in an effective way by doing little coding assignments. Um, one of the things that I'm gonna be working on with my kids uh, is uh, coding up uh, a little epidemic model where they're gonna have uh, little particles that are interacting and uh, we're gonna see what happens as, as, the, as sickness spreads between them and, and trying to do that. And so I'm gonna try and figure out how to facilitate that for, for, for my kids. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, banding together with other online uh, parents, uh, other parents who are stuck in the same situation is a, is a good thing to do. We're going to be getting online on Zoom uh, together with some of the parents in our family, uh, or parents in, in my children's classes, uh, trying to sort of share our ideas and resources uh, each day. And that will be a, one way that we can get through this together. Yeah, that's um, right. There's a lot of burden on parents here who are also at home, and uh, that's going to be even harder for parents that don't, don't have science education backgrounds like, uh, like my family. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so trying to get together with as many people as you can uh, virtually, even though we can't be there together to try to, to share things. But this is, this is going to be hard, like I said, especially for, for families that are torn between 
keeping their kids at home. And also a lot of people have to go out and, and still work in, in our economy. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't yet figured out how we're all gonna handle all that. No, and I think uh, as we start to hear from the districts we're working with, and we heard this morning, for example, a local district for you, Glendale, will be, their goal is to move online on early next week. And you know, teachers just found out about it just you know, right now. So um, that's, a, that's a big challenge, but they're also concerned about school lunch, breakfast lunch program, the food for students, the shelter, and, and then you know, access to having equal access to the technologies that may be needed. In, in kind of thinking about that, um, for uh, our own team, your, your friends here at Green Ninja, um, we are providing advice to the districts that we're working with. And for a district that on Monday is gonna be online, do you have any suggestions for, for how we can help support teachers as they go through this transition? You, you, I think one of your really good pieces of advice is don't try to do everything in the first time because it's not gonna be easy. But I'm curious what other advice you might have. Yeah, I mean, uh, like uh, like is always the case for our for our teachers. They are uh, hungry for things that they can pull off the shelf and and start using right away. So uh, as we try and sort of rapidly pull together little things, it's one of the tasks that I did the other day was I took one of my online courses, which has uh, all of these activities that are behind a learning management system firewall, or you know they're only accessible to to my students. Uh, I went through and tried to pull all of them out and, and put them on little websites and, and make them available to people uh, with some, some brief lesson plans. And so trying to cobble together the resources that we think are most effective uh, for, for getting through the next couple of weeks and, and just making them available uh, is, is going to be helpful. Also providing, like I said, some sort of live online opportunity uh, for 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 students that have access to that will be a, a something. So you could actually host, uh, you know, Next Tuesday at 10 a.m., you could uh, host an online Zoom conference for, for people where you walked them through some activities. Um, those sorts of things could, could be opportunities for what, what the Green Ninja team can be doing um, as you basically get some, some shovel-ready projects uh, for, for teachers. For, for your own kids, um, you're, <clears throat> you mentioned your, the, for your oldest, the school's closing or is closed today? Uh, they'll, they'll be closed next, next two weeks, yeah. And, and what is their plan for managing this? They, uh, they are sending home the kids with uh, little packets of information, or little packets of uh, homework. And um, uh, I know that uh, my daughter's coming home with a little trifold uh, 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 that she's going to work on her invention project at home. And they are just uh, hoping that that will keep people busy. And I'm not sure exactly... Uh, all the other things are probably going to be coming to us uh, in, as future details in the next couple of days as they sort things out. Because obviously the teachers have been busy teaching over the last few days. They haven't had time to, to sit down and completely rethink their, uh, their curriculum and how it can translate to an online environment or to a at-home environment. Yeah, so this is going to be an evolution of, uh, of how this instruction might manifest itself. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, I wanted to ask you one other thing. Um, so we have a bunch of teachers who are doing uh, one of our grade eight units, which is about waves, where they explore satellite technology. They apply their understanding of waves and satellite technology to ultimately develop infographics on how to reduce ecological footprint of human activities. And um, that's their big project, kind of like your daughter having a, having a big project. Um, you know, I'm curious how we would, um, what suggestions you would have for bringing kind of a project-based approach into the household? Um, you know, if you come into a family where 
your family's enthusiastic about it and you have, you know, like, oh, we're doing this big project, you know, that might work well, but like you were saying in, in some other folks' places, people are really busy. And so I'm just wondering what suggestions you might have for teachers in, in using this type of approach um, in the home environment. Yeah, well, the, um, one of the most important things that, uh, that my, my research into online education has shown is the, just the, the interactions with, with the, the professor over, or like I said, I do, I do college education, so, but the interactions with the professor are, are the keys to success. Uh, and so you can't simply give students online activities and expect them to do them in isolation uh, with them and their computer. We really need them to be interacting with a person. And so if you're working on a culminating project, we don't want them to just be doing it at home on their own. We want to be able to, to, to monitor their progress and give feedback just like we would in the classroom. And, and thankfully, things like uh, Google Docs, uh, the presentations and, and things like that allow us to do that where we can literally watch what our students are doing in, in real time and uh, be able to provide input and feedback uh, at early stages of that process when it really can make a difference. And so trying to do that, um, if you can do Google Docs, if it's a paper-based thing like my daughter's trifold, you can still do that by having parents uh, send pictures every night uh, of where things are and, and the, the teacher can send a picture back with comments on it. And so we're trying to, to really keep that loop of, of feedback because uh, obviously most parents don't have the, the expertise to, to do the really high quality feedback uh, and maybe the teachers do. They certainly have a whole lot more experience doing it. <laughs> uh, and so um, that's, that's one of the things that I would suggest is making sure that uh, we use whatever technology we have to, to help facilitate interactions and, and comments and feedback. Yeah, those are, those are that's a good suggestions. And thanks for mentioning about the you know, if, if the students didn't have their own tablet or computer that perhaps the parents could take a photo of the paper that their students are working on, the project they're working on, and send it to the teacher. Because I think that sometimes we feel like, oh, if there's some students who don't have access to technology, that there's no way for that communication to happen. But um, there are other, other ways that that can work. And so it's going to be about exploring and figuring those out. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, let's shift gears to our next segment, which is about climate and the environment. Um, as we turn our attention to climate change, when we review some of the latest news in this area, we'll talk about how to bring topics related to the environment into our schools and classroom. And so, Matt, I mentioned, I sent you this article um, that I read a couple days ago um, about the coronavirus, and it was filled with tons of graphs and charts and data. And in climate science, we have a lot of those similar graphs and charts, but they haven't seemed to help our world take real action on, on climate change. Um, what parallels do you see between what's going on right now in the coronavirus and climate change. Oh, I saw a really funny, uh, funny tweet about this that uh, really, it said, uh, uh, climate change needs to get coronavirus's publicist. <laughs> That's funny. Essentially, we're looking at major impacts and disruptions to, to our society uh, from climate change, uh, and yet we're not doing anything about it. And, and um, the, the article that you sent me had some really interesting things that I mentioned before about how uh, acting one day earlier can make this huge difference in the, in the impact. And I think maybe that's the type of graph that we need to be producing a little bit more of uh, for people is not just showing them the graphs of how bad things are going to be, but, but really giving some very specific scenarios of what we can, what we can, how we can help ourselves and, and what the benefits are of actually taking action. There were some the advantage of uh, some of the graphs you showed, you showed some 
uh, graphs of uh, the 1918 uh, flu pandemic and how different cities were affected by that. And there was uh, in one of those, a city that didn't take things very seriously. Mm -hmm. They didn't really, they allowed a big parade to go on. And the day of that, the day after that parade, the, uh, the number of cases sort of skyrocketed upwards in the, in the following days. Uh, whereas uh, another city, I think it was, I think that was Philadelphia, I think St. Louis took things very seriously. They shut down schools. They did all the sorts of things that are happening to us right now. And they saw a much more gentle uh, uh, you know, fatality rate. They, there were many fewer people per 100,000 people died. Uh, and that made a big difference. And then even the one that was most interesting for me now is that there was a school or a, a city that uh, closed their schools. I think they opened them up for like two days and then reclosed them. Mm. But they saw a huge peak. The second peak was much bigger even than the first peak of, of and so, you know, it doesn't take very long for that spread to happen if you put everybody together in one place. Uh, and, and so this whole social, that, that proves to me the social distancing idea has a, has a lot of merit for it. But, um, but really these, these examples of case studies of what happens when you do different things, they're really useful for us to make informed decisions for. And I guess with climate change, we don't have quite the same examples of past experiences to guide us. This is all new territory for climate change, so we can't show those, but we could show some more scenarios uh, and really emphasize those scenarios of, hey, if we do this, we're going to save this many lives and this many billions of dollars. Yeah, it's... Um... It, it is certainly interesting. I, I've somewhat enjoyed the ability to look at data from another country, like like was suggested in that article um, of Italy or, or China, and see the results, and then you'd be able to apply them to a local context. But with speed, like this stuff's happening every day. Yeah. And yeah. so climate change is happening over years and, and decades. And so the, the, the time frame of our learning is, is quite slow, whereas here, the time frame is quite quick. And it's, I found it interesting to look at how the government is reacting. So first, some elements of our government were saying, it's not a big deal, just the flu, it'll be gone in a couple of days. And when it wasn't gone in a couple of days, the government had to like shift, shift gears and say, oh, well, maybe it's a big deal. And then maybe today they've said, okay, it's a national emergency and we gotta do something about it. Um, so you're, we're looking at the interaction between the science and policy, kind of like we've done with climate change, but we're seeing it like super condensed over just a, a month or two. Yeah and seeing those interactions and how it plays out in one country versus the other. And that same author, I think, made the point that um, the countries that had already gone through other epidemics, had SARS, for example, had likely learned something as a result of that and had applied that understanding in, how, in the policies that they implemented. But you, know, you uh, could definitely see the impact that policy is making. And looking, I, th I know that the China data that uh, was in that article, uh, you see this very clear exponential growth. Uh, it's more and more cases, more and more cases. The day that they shut down, the, you know, and basically shut everything down, shut down the schools, got everybody to lock down, stopped migration in and out of some of the, the key cities, the number of cases levels off and starts going down. And the, to be able to have that instant feedback uh, is, is really powerful. And obviously we don't have that same sort of time frame with our feedback for, for climate change either. So it's, uh, but definitely, yeah, you can clearly see the impact of policies uh, in, in the coronavirus uh, pandemic. But I, I can tell you those same policy levers are available to us uh, and they're, you know, they're just as important in climate change, but we're, we're not pulling them and uh, uh, they're going to have that same sort of dire impact uh, that, we, that we are projecting with, with the, the COVID-19. 
well, maybe we're going to learn a little bit, hopefully, as a, as a community through this experience and be able to apply those to other challenges we have. Let's hope um, so. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. So in our final segment, we'll finish up on a topic we both enjoy, which is about burritos. And, um, you know, I become convinced by that paper, and we'll share it in the, in the notes of the podcast, using some careful analysis that some of our colleagues came up with, that social distancing is the most important thing we can all do right now to, in our situation in the United States to combat the coronavirus. And as a result, I've stopped going to my favorite local taqueria um, in favor of eating at home and making my own food here. However, I, I have to tell you, I do feel a little guilty about this because the people that work there are hardworking people. They don't get paid that much money. And I know that these, um, these places, these establishments are really struggling. So um, you have any advice for me, Matt? Oh my goodness, you're, you're torn here. I have no advice. I, <laughs> I, I feel the same thing. and and. Um, I know that uh, our, you know, at, the, at the national level, the policy issues that are, are being brought up about how we're going to support and who we're going to support uh, through, this, through this crisis. And you know, we know that there's going to be economic impacts, but who's going who's to be getting that social safety net and who's going to get the benefits is something that they're actively fighting about and debating about at the national level. And uh, you're seeing it there with your own, your own individual choices and what to do. Um, uh, I know that social distancing is 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 very important. Uh, um, I'm thinking that uh, there's probably room in there for you to order a takeout or or get to get to that burrito place every now and then. Um, I don't know how much of an impact all of those things, whether we actually have to stay in our homes or not. This is still this is still uh, something I'm still trying to to sort out. Is what uh, what does it mean to 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 actually practice this social distancing effectively, and and how how much do we need to do? Uh, and I don't yet know. Um, I'm I, I it, once I do, I will happily uh, share my my advice on on whether or not you can walk down to that burrito establishment uh, today or not. Uh, but right now, let's uh, let's just think about how how much we're going to tip when we go back. <laughs> That's an excellent point. <laughs> Um, I, I think that's probably a good place to stop. So um, thanks for joining us at Ask Matt, where we explore NGSS, science education, and the environment with education expert and nice guy, Matthew Delasio. Thanks, Matt, and we'll see you before too long. Absolutely. Thanks so much.